On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. This week on the Indo Daily. I actually don't believe right that priest said I have any harm. He just like thought I knew. But that's how I found that Miriam Martina was dead. How likely is it that Trump will be found guilty of paying hush money to former adult film star Stormy Daniels? We're talking about involvement in serious drugs activity on both sides of the border and as well as that, the procurement of weapons. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. They were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is coming back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, stamp and score! Well, what a start Ireland made to the Autumn Series against Japan last Saturday. 60 points, 9 tries and 1 samurai sword for Johnny Sexton. And some pretty good rugby played as well. And that sets up an absolutely mouth-watering clash against the All Blacks this Saturday. Will Slattery here as always. And a little later on in the show, we're going to be joined by New Zealand journalist Liam Napier. Thankfully, he's logging in the morning in New Zealand time, nighttime here, the, the modern technology allowing us to link up. And he's going to give us a bit of an insight into how the All Blacks are shaping up ahead of that game. But first, we're going to look back on last weekend with Keane Tracy and Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, how impressed are you with that performance? Obviously, it was against maybe a slightly lesser team than we're obviously facing this weekend. But Japan had run Australia quite close the week previous. They, they Played very well against Ireland in the summer. We were expecting a stern test. It didn't really materialise that way. But how much of that was maybe down to Ireland playing really well? Or, or what's your kind of view on it? Yeah, Generally, with a scoreline like that, Will, it's it's not just one thing. I thought they were extremely poor. Like, their defence wilted. There was a couple of occasions where there was a couple of decent hits on the gain line, but they weren't able to, to sustain that for any kind of long period of time or any long set defensively. Made Ireland look really, really good. And I think Ireland played well. I do think that. I thought they, uh, I, I really, what I really liked was that they kept the foot on the pedal quite well. There was a few, there was a period at the end of the first half, I think, um, you know, maybe Johnny threw one into touch. Um, there was another, oh, there was something else where Ireland were in good positions. And I was like, just keep on them now. We, we, we can put up a real score here. And I was kind of wondering, would things get a bit loose? And would we actually end, you know, would they get a try? And it wouldn't end up being you know, the kind of performance that we ended up seeing or the kind of scoreline that we ended up seeing. So I was really happy that they stayed on. Um, I loved that the, I thought the pack played to their strengths. Um, Whether that's, whether that's a strength, like whether that's what you want to do against New Zealand is another conversation, I think. And we we will cover that, but just let's stick on Japan. Um, They were brilliant. They were really, really physical. Uh, I thought they completely dominated them. I thought they played to their strengths in that there's some lovely ball handlers there and some really good runners. And I thought they they all you know performed well and they they moved the ball around. They kept the Japanese guessing. The, you know the, the the decoy lines were really good all day. Um, you know, I mean, I think I saw James Lowe at the back making about four or five breaks, but the lines off the front one are, are really, really good. The forwards, you know, the, the, the tech, there is a bit of a technique and a skill to that. So all of those things are really good, Will. And I, I was really pleased about all that. I think there's a bit of growth still in, in the set piece. Um, but I think, look, it's their first game out together in, 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 a, in a while. So uh, all of those factors played a part in a really, really impressive performance. And uh, yeah, I was delighted, Will. It was great. Yeah, Keen, I was reading the coverage in Monday's paper yourself and, and Rod, very, very positive, I thought. Like, as in, you know, reading the articles that you guys were writing, you, I think, but don't you can obviously explain it better than I can, but it did seem that you thought that it was perhaps indicative of somewhat of a sea change. You know, that I think the, the head, you know, the headline figure was the amount of offloads, 18 offloads versus seven box kicks. And obviously, Johnny Sexton, I know you can maybe elaborate today, was talking, saying, 
that mightn't be necessarily how they go about things on Saturday. But do you think it was indicative of maybe a, a move towards that kind of game plan that people have, a lot of people have been wanting to see? I think it probably is. Um, like Luke outlined it well. Like, I mean, there was an element of Japan's defence allowed them to do it. But I think if you look at the the makeup of the team now, like there's a lot of ball players in it. Like I know you guys were talking about it in the build up last week, but that pack, like from one to eight, are all comfortable on the ball. When you move Andrew Porter back to loose head, like it allows you to do different things. Like, you know, having Ty Byrne in the second row, whether or not like he'll stay there for this weekend, I suppose is up for discussion as well. But I think even over the last few years, like CJ Stander has been at number eight and like an unbelievable servant. But like when you bring in someone like Jack Conan, again, it changes the, the dynamic of the pack in terms of how you play and what you can do. You can see how effective he is in the wider channel. So I was very positive about, about the game because it was a seriously good performance but I think like there's obviously a fine line between um, between being excited and impressed without getting ahead of yourself. And I certainly am not getting ahead of myself. And I'm certainly not expecting Ireland to play in the exact same manner against the All Blacks. But for me, I think it's really important that we see elements of the game, the game plan that they use against Japan going into the All Blacks game because this does feel like a, a bit of a sea change. I, I still think it's very much a, a work in progress, by the way. Um, I don't think like beating a Japan team who, what is it? They've played four games since the World Cup, but you pointed out, Will, like they pushed Australia close. They pushed Ireland close, albeit, you know, it was a, it was a pretty changed team um, in the summer. But like, we can't start rewriting history either. Like it's not that long ago that they beat Ireland, you know, at a world cup. So they are a good team. Ireland made them look far more ordinary, I think, than, than what they are. I think it'll be interesting to see how they get on. Is it Scotland they're playing um, before the end of the tour? So there was a lot to like about it, but I think no one is getting ahead of themselves. Like the, the, the true test is coming this weekend, but like, I, I watched the game a couple of times and it stuck out to me um, how little Ireland box kicked. Like, you're right. Like, I went back and looked at it, like, seven box kicks in the whole game and 18 offloads. I know that's, like, a real kind of headline-grabbing stat, but it's fairly telling, though, as well, you know, because it goes back to picking players to play to their strengths. Jameson Gibson Park's, Jameson Gibson Park's game isn't about box kicking. If you're going to go that way, then you're going to have Conor Murray but when you have a guy like James Gibson Park, who he, to be fair, he got an armchair ride from the pack, who were awesome, but like his service was so snappy, like it was, it, it allowed that backline to to absolutely purr. And I think, I, I know you were at the game as well, Will, weren't you at the weekend? But like it started buckling down in the second half, like that obviously played an element of it slowing down. But when the bench came on, I thought the game, you know, it slowed up a little bit. And I don't think that was a coincidence either. So um, I was really impressed, but under no illusions that this is still a work in progress and the All Blacks would provide a much tougher test. Were you able to focus at the game, Will? Or were you distracted? <laughs> I, I don't even know what re- that doesn't reference to. I only had one point of beer <laughs> in the game. If that, if that's company, you. I don't know what you're driving it? at here. You were keeping some very fancy company at the game, I think. Or oh, thinking? yeah, yeah, that's right. First game with my uh, girlfriend. That was a big moment in the relationship. <laughs> we, we, we got through it. Uh, I told her she, ha- she has to pay her dues. obviously slagged you about that yet, have they? Oh, she has, she has to pay her dues at a couple of Japan games, you know, maybe in Argentina. Uh, she's she's not at all black levels yet. Be okay, able, all right. Well, that's, yeah, look, take, her, take it slow, Will. Take it slow. Take the learning. Can I take in one thing on just to tie in with, with um, just on, on Kean's, um points there and your questions around the performance? I, I think as well, and it's really worth noting, um, yeah, Japan didn't attack right. They were a bit sloppy, but Ireland's defence was a lot better. It, I mean, Ireland, even like Johnny Sexton makes a huge difference to Ireland's attack. And I think we do see that. I mean, his ball handling, his ability to make decisions on the line, still world class, still, I think, still the best decision maker and pastor on the line with, with pressure on him. Um, but I will say the big difference between the match uh, in the summer and uh, that one on the weekend was Ireland's defence. I'm telling you, like, I mean, the score, like, Ireland cut them apart, got lots of easy tries, lots of momentum against Japan in the summer. I was at the game, and they were poor defensively that day as well. Now, they attacked really, really well as well, uh, but Ireland were way more passive 
in that game than they were in the weekend. And that was a big, big change. I mean, if Ireland, I mean, I thought the two guys in the centre were outstanding. Uh, I agree as well, just on that point. I mean, Jameson Gibson Park, as much as I go on and on about, I'm not going to get into the, you know, whether Luke McGrath should be in there ahead of him. He was really, it was a snappy service. I mean, the, the, the quality of the passing um, was brilliant. And on a day like that, when your pack's going forward, that, that was also a factor too. But um, the defence, you know, that, that was a big step forward for them. And they're going to need that next week, clearly. Andy Farrell was just a touch on that. Like, I mean, one of the biggest things he kept harping on about after the game was the defence, you know. And I guess, like, that is the defensive coach still in him. You know, he might be head coach, but he's a defensive kind of man at heart but you know for all the tries what was it nine tries they scored like he said that the most pleasing aspect for him was the defense and I think that's interesting and you know I think so much of the defense I think you were right like Gary Ringer has had a couple of cracking reads as well um but the breakdown Bundy Akeem was very physical in there wasn't he Keane I thought yeah, he was excellent as well I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big big fan of him I mean I thought I said a lot that like Ireland didn't miss Robbie Henshaw who's probably been the best fair in Irish rugby over the last while, you'd say. Um, but I think their work around the breakdown as well, since Paul O'Connell has come in, has improved massively. Um, I think, you know, when O'Connell comes in, the line-out, I, I still think there's a bit of work to do in the line-out, but it has improved, particularly the defensive line-out. But he's also working around the breakdown, and I think their accuracy around it, like Andrew Porter had a couple of clear-outs over the weekend that just ferocious and that's exactly what you need against they're one of those ones you're wincing oh, I, I, I wouldn't have fancy being on the <laughs> end of them stone anyway. and it moves it moves the 20 yeah. stone moves good like, yeah. like oh, it looks awful so so I think though like just elements of that like the breakdown work that O'Connell has done as well has probably gone a little bit unnoticed because we focus on the line out with him but I think that's been a huge kind of turning point as well for this Ireland team yeah, one thing, Luke, I'd like to get your opinion on, and Keane kind of touched on it there when he was talking about the offloading figures versus the box kicking figures, and, and Johnny Sexton was speaking about it today, saying, as I mentioned earlier, that, you know, well, we, we're not going to go out and do exactly that against New Zealand. Different team, higher standard, conditions could dictate, you know, a different, you know, kind of approach, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, 18 offloads, I think Roy O'Connor tweeted that Ireland averaged five across Andy Farrell's reign up to this point. So it's obviously a lot more, but like, you know... Is that kind of doable against New Zealand? You think is is that, no. is that obviously not eighteen? But the, the quick answer to your question, and this always drives me mad about everyone talking about offloads because I feel like they're looking at the result of winning collisions. That's all. That's always been my view on offloads. It's if you're winning collisions, you can get your hands free. You know. If you're winning the collision, you're behind the gain line. It gives you, you know, gives you good opportunities for people to get in position to take a good offload because the defence are turning around. They're not in this good position to knock the ball out of that person's hand. It's, it's winning collisions. That's what it is. If you win the collisions, the offload's there. Like how many times do you see a guy, like there was very few low percentage offloads thrown on the weekend, in my opinion. Like generally in a game like that, we say this, look, there's a massive jump in our, you know, above our, our average um, in terms of that. Uh, in ter- sorry, in terms of offloading. Um, you know, you'd see a massive amount of errors. I actually thought they were really clinical in there. Um, and that, to my mind, was because they were winning collisions. That was it. And you won't get but that. It was one of the that's points. If you ask me about offloads, I'm always going to go to the root. The root of an offload is the contact area, the footwork, getting yourself in those positions where the defense is not able to get their hands high, tuck in on elbows, you know, get in and, you know, get into, you know, passing lanes or offloading channels. That is the thing. That's what I'm off. That's how you create these opportunities. But is it not a mindset as well? Because like oh. I saw, it's well documented. But to Joe Schmidt there, it's well documented that. That's wrong. Know... That's bullshit. Excuse my language. That's that's wrong. That's that's that wherever that came from, there was, there was a few players where they were told and for good reason, you know, avoid it unless it's really obvious. Um, and I completely agree with the coach in that, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, of course, like I think his his game plan was was probably a bit more collision orientated. Like there's there was less space oftentimes between his carriers because he was so organized. So I probably didn't fit offloading as much. But I'm telling you, that's bullshit. That's not right. Uh, he was always, of course, in favor of an offload. Like how many times you see Brian Driscoll throw an unbelievable, you know, offload for Leinster or Ireland? If it's on to throw it, if you've won the collision, of course you're going to be throwing it. Um, you know, you, like I think it was the big thing for him was that you had a respect for the ball. 
Um, so you had to have won the collision to be able to throw an offload for him. I do think that the forwards were able to, are able to throw a bit more when there's a bit more space between them, when they're kind of a bit, when they're, they're I suppose they're given a bit more license to ball play a bit, which that pack is very able to do. And they were, you could see it, they were all spread apart beautifully in the weekend. And I think that's what opens up those channels a bit more Will, versus if you think about a forward pod with Joe Schmidt, oftentimes they were a little bit tighter and they were maybe looking for contact a bit more. Um, and the, sorry, the support runners probably weren't in great positions for it. That's my honest opinion on that. That was, that was a whole load of stuff made about the, the, the amount of ball flows. I think why that happened with Ireland was because they became very, very predictable. And they also ended up carrying a few guys in that pack who were too old, who were not you know, powerful, weren't able to get over the game line, didn't have good movement, didn't have, have good confidence in their handling ability. Um, maybe the coach didn't help them in that respect sometimes, but I'm telling you, it was more a personnel thing and a, you know, a game plan type thing versus actually, you know, the, not, not actually being allowed to throw offloads. That was wrong. And I genuinely feel like, think about all the best players of that era, your Shane Horgans, uh, you know, anyone like that, of course you're able to throw offloads. That was rubbish. You just had to dominate the contact to do it and respect the ball. Um, he's, off, he's got a very bad rap for that uh, because I think, you know, obviously the World Cup didn't work out for him. I'm telling you, he's, he, he liked an expansive game plan, but I think, I think he got a little bit caught up in a few different things. I'm going off on a tangent. I want to stop, but... I'm telling you, that's not true. Fair enough. Fair enough. I just wanted to put it to you because it has been a charge that's been leveled at the team and well, that do you era. Think they beat the crap out of Japan on the weekend. What, like, what do you guys? Like, I would say if you look at Japan, won so few collisions. I mean, of course, you're going to have chances for guys to flood through into the space, and your hands are going to be free. No. Yeah, Keen, do you want to come in? Yeah, no, absolutely. I. I, I think there. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Luke. I think like Ireland probably became a bit predictable, but I think like in terms of the attack last weekend, um, if we take that like in isolation, and to be fair, there was elements of this in the Six Nations as well, particularly in the England game. You think back to like the try that uh, that Keith Earl scored. But they were far more unpredictable in attack, I felt, this weekend. Because like every time Johnny Sexton was on the ball, uh, thanks to the quick service in Gibson Park off the platform that the pack had laid, he had so many options running off the ball. Um, he had James Lowe. James Lowe played as if he had a free role. Um, he was just popping up absolutely everywhere. Um, and I think it was great to see him playing that well, like getting his confidence back because... He's, he wasn't tested at all defensively and I think the jury is still very much out at the highest level on his defence. We'll see this weekend um, because the All Blacks, I'd imagine, will surely uh, target him. But it, it was just so pleasing to see guys stepping in at first receiver. Like you think back to um, Hugo Keenan's pass that he fired out to Andrew Conway for his try. Um, I was having a watch back in the build-up to Andrew Conway's try, his first try. 10 of the 15 Ireland players touched the ball in the build-up to Bundyaki's try. 11 of the 15 Ireland players touched the ball. Like that, that's, that, that says to me that guys are more comfortable on the ball. Like, you know, that, that they, we've, we've touched in the pack that they picked. But when you have that many ball players in the team, and I do agree with Luke 100% that you can only offload the ball when you, when you dominate the collisions. And are Ireland going to dominate collisions against the All Blacks? You would say more times than not, they're probably not because the laws of physics are a far bigger team than what Ireland are. But this goes back to my point of Ireland have to think outside the box, I think, against the All Blacks and not get sucked back into the previous type of game that has come unstuck. There has to be elements of looking to shift the point of attack and to target those soft shoulders, I think, because like I don't want to say like what's the point in doing it against Japan but there's been elements in like even if you listen to like Johnny Sexton has been banging on about this for throughout the year really that you know the team is trying to change and like you know it's coming it's coming but we didn't really see much evidence of that and I think it's fair enough to give them their credit when we do see the evidence of that but again realizing that the biggest test is coming this weekend. Yeah, because I remember like the first game back after COVID, it was against Italy at the Aviva, and Ireland won well and played quite expansively. There was some really nice offloads again. Peter Armani had a lovely one at the side door, and it didn't really lead that to, to much mm-hmm. over the rest of the autumn. Obviously, that England game came after Christmas, and they were really good. So it will be interesting to see how much of the weekend carries over, or if they go a different way, or, or, or what how it develops in that way. In terms of personnel, Luke, like the team selection was an interesting one before the game. Like Andrew Conway coming in, maybe not from the cold, but hadn't maybe been predicted to start. He had a really, really good game. 
you know, Connor Murray was in the bench. Gibson Park, we've already talked about him. Do you go with the same 15 again if if, if you're Andy Farrell? Like, do you like that balance that it brought? Or is there anyone you look to bring in ahead of the Oblacks? I think um, I might move Byrne to six. And I might, like, the only thing is Henderson is, you know, it's a long time, you know, my sense that I'd like to have a bit more weight in the pack. Um, that's the only obvious change that I'd make for, for, for the game, to be honest with you. Maybe Murray in um, at nine. I think um, it's pretty, it's probably a bit more negative. It gives you a bit more in the line out though. And I think it's, uh, you know, gives you a bit more weight at the scrum. Um, I think the collisions will be a bit bigger, uh, and particularly in the tight exchanges. And I think we might need a bit more weight in there. And I think you can bring on someone, um, you know, like Doris, uh, to have a massive impact on the game off the bench. Um, you know, a couple of turnovers. He's a good carrier too. Um, but I'm not sure they're going to do that. I don't think they can. It'd be pretty hard to drop someone after that after that performance. Um, but if you were asking me, that's what I'd do. Um, you know, I think uh, I think Lowe was excellent. I agree with Keane on that one, but I'd be a little bit concerned about him defensively. I think he'll get a big test this weekend and I still haven't seen massive amount of growth you know, in the Leinster games, the Scarlets one probably, that Scarlets error probably comes to mind when I think of his defence. Still unsure about positioning, still not, you know, still can't feel that spacing between the guy next to him and creeps into bad positions or makes bad decisions uh, as well. Um, but, you know, we don't see what's going on behind the scenes. And I thought if Gary Ringrose and if Bundy Aki defend like the defendants uh, on, on against Japan, it's actually not so much a problem. His decision-making and his positioning is very easy to do, but that line speed against New Zealand, pretty tricky. So the, the squad, I think, will remain the same, but I'd be giving some serious consideration to maybe some of those thoughts, maybe, and I'm sure the coaching staff will be doing that. Um, but it'll be pretty harsh to drop anyone after that, after that performance. Yeah, Keen, like, how are you looking at the selection battles? Like, you know, is someone like Dan Sheen, do you think he'll stay in the squad? Like, Rob Herring, I know Andy Farrell's a fan of his set-piece solidity against the All Blacks. Is is there a chance that he might come back in? Is there any other potential changes you might see? So, I, so Jesus, yeah, I, no. I would... No. I would... I would see that as a backward step if if they did that. Um, and I don't think Herring is the type of player who you can put on the bench, really, to be honest with you. So, like, let, let's, like, calling a spade a spade, Kelleher and Dan Sheehan are Ireland's two hookers for the next few years. Um, I think I touched on it the last time I was, I was on with you guys. Just let them battle it out. This isn't a World Cup quarter final that we're talking about at the weekend. Let them let them learn. Like, like you know, they, they've proven um, that they're well up to it within Leinster. So, I would definitely keep them as it is in terms of the team I think Henderson is the is the only one who I would be considering bringing in but if he was I think it would be a straight swap for for Ty Byrne I I wouldn't be shifting Caden Doris out of that team at all um I'm a I'm a massive fan of I think there's a really nice balance in that back row I'd be very curious to see how um Josh van der Fleer goes this weekend actually like he's made serious improvements I think since the 2019 World Cup uh, particularly in his carrying but these are the games that I think in the past that he's fallen down on against the bigger teams you know the more aggressive packs and I think this would be a real test of how far he has come over the last couple of years because there's such a nice balance I think to that to that back row and I know a lot was made of the fact that you know there was 12 starting Leinster players in the team last weekend but you can see how well the combinations work. Like you, you talk about the front row, you talk about the back row, the halfbacks, like that has to count for a lot when these guys are training week in, week out. And I don't for a second, you know, I know like uh, fans of other provinces are, were up in arms about it, but um, I don't think you could have argued for, for the team selection that he made and he got it spot on. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be bringing Conor Murray back in either. I don't, I, like, I don't think Gibson Park did anything wrong at all. And to justify coming out of the team. And it probably goes back to my overall point that you want to reward these guys for, for how well they played and probably more importantly to see if they can develop certain elements of the game plan that they use against the best team in the world. Like this, this is what we want to see. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's an unchanged, um, unchanged 23 really. Um, I think he likes the, the fact that like I was a bit disappointed there wasn't a couple of one or two more of the younger guys on the bench last week, even I'd say it now. Um, I was surprised Joey Carberry didn't get more than I think it was 18 minutes. Um, I know it was a special day for Sexton and all that, but 
the game was wrapped up like so early. I thought Carberry could have got a bit more game time, but I think there was a reason he had so much experience on the bench, like of O'Mahony, Keith Earls, Connor Murray. Um, last week, I'd imagine you'll probably see see them coming on again this weekend. And why not reward the guys who who delivered last week? Yeah, no, it's helped me an absolute cracker next Saturday for the moment. Keen, thanks so much for joining us. Cheers, lads. Well, we're going to look ahead to this weekend's huge game against the All Blacks now, and we're delighted to be joined by New Zealand journalist Liam Napier. Liam, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Will. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you on. I appreciate you giving up an early morning over in Auckland. Uh, the, the, the marvel of international time zones now. It's nighttime here, morning there, but uh, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. <laughs> no, it's great to be here. Looking forward to this weekend. Yes, are we? Yeah, really interesting game. Ireland, the All Blacks, besides it was that World Cup quarterfinal a few years ago, the games have all been pretty close. Um, maybe just to start off, like you can give us a bit of a, a scene set about where this New Zealand team is at the moment in terms of their development. I know they're they're top of the world rankings once again, where they're, they're used to being, but it's been a slightly transitional period under Ian Foster, you know, post-World Cup, obviously the COVID disruption, a few big names retiring. Like, how would you say this New Zealand team compares to some of the great ones we've seen over the last decade or so? Yeah, it's an interesting um, question to to sort of unpack, I guess. Um, you mentioned COVID there, you know, um, they're probably not where they want to be from a development perspective because last year, uh, because of COVID, they only played six tests and, and only one half of those. So it wasn't a, wasn't a great year and a, a really tough introduction for Foster who came into the job with, you know, a lot of consternation in the background, a lot of public support for Scott Robinson and then, to deliver, you know, a 50% win record in your first year as an all-black coach. Um, so you can imagine there was a lot of discontent um, after last year. Uh, so, yeah, I think they ordinarily the all-blacks would play 14, 15 tests in a year and, and six tests, you know, you'd, you'd barely scratch the surface of, of trying to um, embed new systems, new players, put your stamp on the team. So uh, it was a really challenging year, I think, for Foster – straight off the bat. Uh, coming into this year, he's probably he's made, you know, significant strides, I think. Uh, probably surprised a few people. He was reappointed just before uh, the All Blacks left New Zealand for the Rugby Championship. And even at that point, there was still a lot of people who thought uh, he that, that came too early, that um, they, they wanted to see the All Blacks play South Africa in particular and then make a judgment after that about whether he should be reappointed or not. Um, but, you know, with the All Blacks leaving on a tour for 14, 15 weeks and because of the COVID landscape not being able to come home at all until the end of that, um, you know, it was felt that that situation would have been best to provide some stability and, and reappoint him. So that decision was made and I think he, you know, to this point probably justified that. But, um, you know, they lost one te- test to the box and, um won the Rugby Championship, won the Bledisloe Cup. And then, you know, there's probably going to be uh, a lot more revealed in these next two tests against Ireland and France to end the year. And and, and, and people will sort of shape the narrative about where the All Blacks are at from there. But from a development perspective, these brought through a lot of depth, carrying a 39-man squad at the moment on, on the tour because it's really difficult to replace players. Um, so they are building depth and grooming players. But... Um, yeah, so it's, it's been a good year to this point, but um, the last two tests of the year are certainly going to reveal a lot more about where this All Blacks team is at and its development. Yeah, Luke, and from as we got the inside view there, from, from your perspective and looking from the outside, you know, having seen them play those games against South Africa, like the, the New Zealand team that's coming to play Ireland this weekend, how do you assess them or benchmark them against the ones that have come to Dublin in the last, you know, five or so years? Oh, uh... I think we're in danger of kind of underestimating them. I think um, I think they're probably at an earlier point, part of a cycle. Um, interestingly enough, there's a few senior guys that are still hanging around. I mean, usually the All Blacks are very cutthroat at this point. They just say, mm, I don't think you're going to be at your peak for the World Cup. We have a few guys behind you and they just move on really quickly. Problem for them is that these guys are outstanding and still playing great rugby. I see Aaron Smith's been called out as well. Um, I mean, I, I just see danger all over the place for them. And I think um, while they're, 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 they haven't been talked up as much, I don't think they're viewed as highly um, as other teams that have come here in the past. But I think they look like a really dangerous proposition, as always. 
Um, I think Ireland could be lulled into playing a similar brand of rugby that they played against Japan. And I think that would be a massive mistake. And we saw parts of that against Wales. Um, where they're just the, the transition threat, um, they're just so dangerous. Um, and I think Barrett at 10 is a great decision. I've been, I look, I, I really like Moonga. He's obviously a top quality operator and a better kicker off the deck. But Barrett, for me, I think I always thought it was crazy not playing him at 10. I, I just thought that was an insane move. Um, I just think he's brilliant. Uh, I think him and his brother are a nice combo as well. I mean, it takes the pressure off from a kicking perspective as well. Um, and it means you can play him at 10. I just, he's one of my favorite players to, to, to watch. So I think there's a few things that are coming are becoming a bit clearer in terms of the squad selection. And I think while they're at an earlier part of the cycle in some parts, in some positions on the pitch, um, I think they're still going to have those senior guys that make them pretty formidable um, over the next couple of years. And in terms of Saturday, um, a massive challenge for Ireland. A huge challenge. And um, they've played a lot of rugby this year. I know it's been kind of interrupted with COVID and different things the last while, but I still think they're way more battle harder than us. Um, and I'm a little bit concerned about us taking them a little bit lightly. Yeah, one thing that's really interesting from from the outside looking in, Liam, is that battle at out half between Richie Mwanga and Bowden Barrett. I know in the World Cup in 2019, they, they tried to accommodate both of them, and obviously it didn't ultimately end in, in great success. Like, we love a good out half battle in Ireland traditionally. Like, we've got our sex and Algaras over the years. Like, is it viewed like that in New Zealand? Is it like a camp who want Richie Mwanga, you know, after the Crusaders' great success, and a camp who maybe want to stick with Bowden Barrett after his back to back World Player of the Year? Like, what's the kind of the, the kind of scene there in terms of how people are viewing that? Yeah, it's very much like a, a bit of a national debate, on, ongoing national debates. Uh, yeah, as much as Ireland love it, I think New Zealand love it as well. And uh, it's been an interesting dynamic this year because, you know, as you mentioned, for sort of 18 months prior to, to uh, the World Cup, you know, they tried to accommodate them both in the same team with, with mixed results, I think it's fair to say. You know, Barrett at fullback, which Mwanga at 10, and they're, they're both players who are naturally used to running the game. So that took a lot of time for them to, to get used to fulfilling those roles and, and I guess, sharing the load. So Barrett uh, went away to Japan and had six months over there and decided that he wanted to be a 10 again and, you know, made a firm decision about that. He came back to New Zealand uh, for the July test and it was a really sort of slow burn, you know, coming back from the Japanese top league into the into test rugby is a big step. And, you know, it took him time to, to get up to speed. Then, you know, the door really opened when Richie Moonga stayed home for the birth of his second child and, and missed uh, the majority of the rugby championship. He only came over for the last test against the Springboks, came off the bench for that, had to do two, two weeks quarantine in a, in a hotel room. Uh, to play that match in in, uh, in Queensland, and so that allowed Barrett to have uh, you know consistent time in the saddle at ten and and really find his feet and, and sort of get back to some of his best form. Um, and you know Richard Wong has come back into the squad. He started against the USA, started against Italy, uh, but Barrett uh, ha- has probably surpassed him. You know he played his hundredth test against Wales and and scored you know two intercept tries at real sort of anticipation and and coming to the fore there and speed off the mark. So Barrett's number one at the moment, but it is a tight battle and, and there are, you know, um, big sections of the New Zealand public, certainly in Christchurch and, and Crusaders country, who who still believe that Richard Mwanga sh- should be starting at 10 and it will be a battle that will go, you know, deep into next year and, and beyond. And, you know, they'll, they'll push each other. I think um, it'll be really interesting to see. I think Barrett starts at 10 this week. Um, but, you know, there's, I wouldn't rule out the prospect of Rich Mwanga starting the following week against France. You know, the All Blacks really want to give those both those guys time in the saddle and, and exposure to rush defence, which they both, you know, struggle with. You know, it's a bit of, bit of a kryptonite for the All Blacks in terms of um, dealing with that and, and are still learning and, and um, developing, you know, um, attacking tactics in terms of, you know, your... Crossfield kicks, kicks in behind, um, various sort of set plays to try and get around that. So, um, you know, the more experience both those guys have, with, with uh, particularly in the Northern Hemisphere and the box, you know, they do that um, line speed defence exceptionally well and, and put a lot of pressure on the midfield and, and close down the outside space. So, 
Um, yeah, it's a really interesting battle and it hasn't gone away. But Barrett number one for now and, and Richard Mwanga will certainly be applying heat um, in, the, in the coming weeks and years. Yeah, one thing I'd also like to get your opinion on, Liam, is the New Zealand view, you know, we've used the word cycle a couple of times already, the New Zealand view on the World Cup cycle, like in Ireland, we get very focused on the World Cup and we talk about it a lot, even when we were doing our podcast, even though it's not for another couple of years. Do the New Zealanders, do you like to only, does it only really come into sharp focus the year of the World Cup or is it similar there? Are you guys kind of, when you're doing your analysis or talking about it, do you very much have the view, the long view, or is it very much the here and now and then you might, you know, in 2023, you might start really honing in on it because in Ireland, it kind of dominates all the rugby discussions, really. I think it, it, it's probably changed a lot over time. You know, if you look back to 2011 when the All Blacks hadn't won a World Cup in 24 years, there's certainly a, a massive fixation on, on you know, knocking that off and, and sort of getting the monkey off the back. And then the All Blacks went away and, and won their first World Cup abroad in 2015. And, you know, I think that alleviated a lot of the the obsession with World Cups, I guess, and, and um, you know, while it's certainly still a, a major focus as, as those pinnacle tournaments draw closer, I think, you know, there has been a lot more space and breathing room given to, to coaches to, to try things within cycles, to to win, you know, major tournaments within cycles, you know, the Rugby Championship and the Bledisloe Cup and, and to do well on Northern Tours. Um, so, you know, with Ian Foster, um I guess, you know, him being reappointed was it was a significant stake in the ground. You know, that means that he's gonna take the team to the World Cup, but you know, in in, in weekly, daily press conferences, it's not not a, a regular discussion point right now. And I guess, you know, you can see what they're trying to do in terms of development and, and shaping the team. I think, you know, that definitely comes into selections and and, and but while they're um they have to win in the here and now. They they are certainly looking ahead to, you know, it's, it is a very green All Blacks team. There's a number of guys in that squad with single-figure caps in the loose forwards, the midfield, um, even in the front row, the locking department. So they are developing in the here and now for the future. But I wouldn't say there's a huge obsession with the World Cup um, right now. But that will certainly ramp up over the next few years and, and the All Blacks having lost that semi-final to England that will that still stings a lot of the, those players who are involved and the public will certainly demand, you know, um, the World Cup. There'll be an expectation that the All Blacks go and win the World Cup in France, no matter how tough a prospect that's going to be. Yeah, look, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Like that, you know, even Andy Farrell and Johnny Sexton referring to the World Cup recently and saying that was a shift in mindset, how maybe New Zealand finally winning those World Cups released the pressure valve a bit. Like maybe if Ireland did get over that quarterfinal hump, it might be able to release that bit of pressure and maybe it would be a different kind of mindset altogether. Yeah, yeah. I think it would be. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think there was an interesting bit there, you know, Johnny Sexton before the game, and um, sorry, we we all we were thing, Liam, over here about, um, you know, kind of saying we want to go ahead and win things. We like to be the underdog, I think, generally, and we're always afraid of saying, look, we want to go and achieve this thing. Uh, and we basically, you know, the team, a lot of the time in Ireland, we haven't even talked about the World Cup. As a team, everyone everyone else is talking about it, but the team just refused to talk about it up until it's closer because you want to have that next match kind of focus. That was previously the mentality. Obviously, there's been some news out a couple, you know, a couple of weeks ago now from the camps, you know, talking about the World Cup, and you know, that's very unusual for us. So, yeah, look, I think it's Johnny Sexton had an, an interesting conversation with Jamie Heaslip before the match um, on the weekend, and he was kind of saying, "Well, look, you don't start out, um, you know, trying to climb Everest." Um, you know, and, and try and focus on it like a week before. You know what I mean? And I thought that was an interesting analogy, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's the that's what they're using as you know, kind of to plot the map uh, to get to this kind of point or whatever in terms of you know winning a World Cup or you know, I'm assuming that's what the the, the goal is. I think it's a good place for Ireland to be. Um, you know, I still think that does, you know being able to talk about those things shouldn't mean that you're not able to focus on a massive challenge this began and recognize that these are key development points along the way. I mean, playing against the All Blacks, I mean, we just, you know, I think you learn so much about yourselves here. I think this, I, I have a feeling Ireland are going to lose badly on the weekend, but I think we'll, we'll learn a huge amount here. And we actually get to play them quite a few times this year. So I think this is a huge, this is, our, our, we're actually set up, I think, to perform really, really well at this World Cup based on our fixture list. 
And I think this is the first step along it. So um, in terms of us talking about it, I think it's a real positive thing, Will. Um, and I think there's no reason why anyone there shouldn't be able to refocus on a massive challenge this weekend. I mean, otherwise it could get really ugly if they can't. <laughs> yeah, I like how you just slipped in that you think Ireland going to get hammered this weekend as well. I, like, not <laughs> hammered. I, I think they get beaten. I think they get well. We lose badly. Like, you lose. Uh, well, sorry, maybe it is hammered. Yeah, I, I think they get beaten well. In 2018, you said that you thought they'd lose by 20 and they beat them. So, like, yeah, maybe that is at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Liam, what, what's your view on, on the Irish team? Um, you, know, I, you know, I don't know how often you've got to see them or even, like, we were talking earlier in the show before you came on about, the, like, last weekend and how there was a lot more offloads from Ireland than there usually is. Now, whether or not we see that at the weekend, probably maybe unlikely. But what, what's, what's your view on the Irish team and, and where they are at the moment? Yeah, I think it's it's quite hard to get a gauge on Ireland at the moment. I think um, it's hard to take too much out of the recent Six Nations. You know, uh, Wales won those tournaments and they had, um, or the, la- the re- most recent tournament, and they, I think two games are involving red cards. There was also, you know, no real fans at games, which is such a huge part of the, you know, Six Nations, sort of the fabric of, of the tournament. Ireland from, a, I guess, a you can see they're trying to develop their game and, and um, be more expansive and, and, you know, play a bit wider, certainly from the, from the Joe Schmidt era where it was quite formulaic, but you had those sort of trick plays come in, um, which were, were pretty lethal at times. Um, so I think Andy, Andy Farrell's trying to progress that. Um, Paul O'Connell, I think he's made a, a big difference with the line-out, you know, such a legendary figure and obviously so much now when it comes to that area of the game. Um, I guess I, I do. I would worry about guys like Sexton and and and, um, and Conor Murray. You know, they're so pivotal to to the the fabric of the team and and the and the structure and and, and everything. You know, come come the World Cup, um, do you have the depth in behind them? You know, keeping a guy like um, Carberry coming along, I think, is pretty crucial. He adds a real point of difference, and Jamison Gibson, Gibson Parks coming through there. So. Um, you can see what they're trying to do, and, and there is plenty of time between now and the next World Cup um, to develop um, some of those more expensive plays. But I don't know if it necessarily comes naturally to, to someone like Sexton, who, who likes to be involved in every, every single play to, to run the to run the game. Um, and Conor Murray, I guess, traditionally has been you know one of the best um, box kicking halfbacks in the world. So to try and change those things, you know, that in terms of playing a more up tempo offloading, more expansive game, getting that balance right. Um, it, it's quite a significant change, and I think it will, will take some time. But if you can f- find that balance between, um, you know, playing tactically and, and bringing more um, attacking intent, I think it could be, you know, a really dangerous combination. You know, if you, if you look at Ireland, the, the, the pillars, the strength of their game are um, being hugely uh, physical and dominating the collisions. Um, uh, defensively, they've been outstanding. One of the best teams in the world defensively, I think. Andy Farrell's one of the, the best defensive coaches in the world. And, you know, contesting the breakdown. And some of those, you know, the, those things I've just mentioned there have been, you know, uh, things that the All Blacks have really struggled with. And you can throw in the high ball. So the breakdown, uh, the high ball and, and uh, rush defence have been three things that the All Blacks have really struggled with this year. Not just this year, but you know the past, uh, going back to the 2019 World Cup, and even as far back as the British and Irish Lions. So for the best part of you know four years, um, they've been trying to work on those things. So when I look at Ireland, those things make me nervous, and I think they could really trouble the All Blacks in those areas if if they get it right, and then potentially they can bring a bit more attacking attacking intent. Um, I think they're a dangerous prospect. Yeah, Luke, from your perspective, like, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, potential team selection, but what would you, what what areas do you want to see Ireland try to go after the All Blacks, if that's even possible? Okay, yeah, like, I think that the the high ball, like, it, it's, it's, it is going to be crucial. Uh, you know, earlier on, I, I mean, I've obviously talked about possibly Murray getting in there. Um, that's obviously for that reason. Um, I'd be and Andrew Conway about... was unbelievable in the air at the weekend as well. Conway was brilliant in the air. There's obviously, I look, Zebo's not there, but, you know, we have guys who are excellent in the air. Hugo Keenan took a few brilliant high balls as well. Um, you just have to be so, so accurate uh, against New Zealand there. Like, you saw, 
I mean, like the, like the, what the likes of Will Jordan could do. Even Jordy Barrett with that nice little cross field kick. I mean, look, it was uh, probably a bit fortuitous that they, they got it back, but it was still in a great area. You just see they pick space so well, the way they spread the field. If you don't get that up to compete, you know, if you don't get up and compete for that and make it a bit of a mess, you're asking for trouble. So, like, that, that, if that goes well, it's obviously great. If, if it doesn't and you kick poorly, you will get punished. Like, this is the game where you get punished doing that if ever there's a game. So, um, I think um, that is important. Um, and that's definitely something that I think Ireland have to target. Uh, I believe, you, you know, the, the, the one key thing with New Zealand is making sure that they don't get momentum. So, you do have to have great line speed. Now, where they're unbelievable... And everyone talks about the outside quality. And, of course, there's unbelievable quality in ball handling across the team. But the really key part of playing New Zealand is in the tight exchanges. You cannot – like, they have – everyone can ball play. Everyone can move side to side. Everyone appreciates space um, in the New Zealand eight, always. So you have to you – know, you have to manage that space really well. If they get momentum in those tight places – it's you know it, it'll be I, I I probably can't say on air what what, what I was going to say, but it'll be a route and they'll really punish it because you've got so much quality outside and they'll get the balls to the areas where there's chinks because everyone's a good ball handler. So that they're the kind of key areas. Whenever I watch an our New Zealand game, there that's what I'm watching. And of course, I think if you can get, I've always felt I think New Zealand in in later times have placed a bit more focus on set piece and um, than they probably have historically. Um, you know, I, I still think that that's probably not a massive focus for them. They, I feel like they just want to start the game again and get into get in, you know, get into what they're good at, um, which is kind of open play, you know, and, and you know, spotting opportunities. But I think if you can do well in the scrum, and we have a very strong scrum, um, or a very strong front row at least, we might lack a bit of weight in the in the back. But I think if our line out and our scrum are good, they're all things that you can focus on. And if you do well there. I think you can make it a tight game at least. And I think once you're in the tight game with them, um, you know, it, it, all, all bets are off um, and they can get a little bit nervous because there's so much pressure on them to perform so well. Um, unfortunately, I've been the end of a few of these tight games and they've come out of them brilliantly, but um, there's no Richie McCall there anymore um, and, and Dan Carter. So I still think if you're in a tight game, you see Australia in November, you know, got a nice, got a win as well there. Nice, nice. That was a tight game. South Africa have done it a couple of times too. So, um, you can you can't get at them, but they're the areas I'll be watching, Will. And it's so important that you that I, I can't emphasize how important I think those tight exchanges with the New Zealand forwards are, uh, because they all can ball play and they can all move side to side. They're 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 very powerful there. If you can control them there to a certain extent and just manage it, it goes a long way to you know helping you survive defensively, and that's very important against them. Yeah, Lehman. Like from a, from an Aussie perspective, like what are the areas you think they can get? into the game and, and really like maybe take control of it? I think anytime the All Blacks um, are allowed to play their, their up-tempo, um, you know, offloading, expansive game, that's when they're incredibly dangerous. Then they can, you know, in, in the space of five, 10 minutes, they can run in three tries and blow teams away. So you, you need to, you need to make them work for their points. You need to frustrate them. And, and that's when, They'll push passes. Um, they'll, you know, force them to play behind the defensive line, make their ball scrappy. Uh, because if they're if they're allowed to get a roll on, if they're if you give Barrett time and space at ten to to pick his options, to put little kicks over to to the wingers, um, if you allow their forwards um, to offload to to get a roll on, um, they're just impossible to stop in, in that sort of form. So, um, yeah, that's where I think we've seen this year, you know, particularly against teams like the Wallabies who play a similar style of game to the All Blacks. You know, if, if you're trying to run and gun them, um, it's not going to work for you. And, and you look at that Welsh test as well, that, that last 20 minutes, <clears throat> that was where the All Blacks really came over the top of teams. And so I think they're, they're incredibly fit. They'll have a strong bench, so they don't lose. Generally, lose a lot when when you're you're bringing players off the bench. Um, so that those those final quarters when they're really looking to up the pace and, and tempo, um, play their expansive game. I think that's where they can really hurt teams. So if, slow the pace, frustrate them, um, really get at them at the breakdown. Just just uh, you know disrupt their set piece. That's what the Springboks did really well. They 
they shut down their rolling mall, they made a mess of their breakdown, they counter-rucked really well, they flew off the line defensively and put a lot of pressure on, on the key decision makers and, and made them flustered there. So you've just really got to bring the attitude on defence and and try and make the game as scrappy as possible, basically. You know, really contest everything, get at them, get in their faces, because if you allow them time and space, they will punish you. Okay, well, I think we've sufficiently set the scene now. Time for predictions. I got Luke first. Luke, I know you kind of gave it away already. I think like, uh, how much of a cricket score You put that word in my mouth, but I think I, I, I'm... Um, look, I probably always go on the historical data, Will. Uh, I never think it looks good against New Zealand, and I think they, you know... I think we're in danger of underestimating this team. Um, I think they win. They win well. I think they win by fifteen or fifteen or so. That's a big win, I think, in the Aviva. I think that's a big win, by the way. So I know that's not a hammering, but it, I still think it. Well, it kind of is. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a hammering, my book. Uh, Liam, look, I think it'll be close. Uh, if you look Good historically, <laughs> if you take the take the World Cup quarterfinal out of the picture, uh, it's 3-2 in the last, well, including that, even including that game, it's 3-2 in the last five tests, and the majority of those outside of the World Cup have been incredibly tight. I think Ireland are a different team at home, and, you know, if, I don't think you can underestimate a full house at the Aviva. Um, I think there's still a lot of question marks about this All Black team to this point. They haven't been tested since the box. You know, that was five weeks ago. Um, so, look, I think it could be a one-score game. Well, I actually think Ireland have a good chance. I'm, I'm not, I don't know if I want to go as far as predicting them to have an upset victory, but I actually think it'll be very close. We haven't had a big game since April. And yeah, I think we're very undercooked. So I'm worried about it. Uh, on that depressing note, uh, no, it, it, it is set up to be an absolute um, We're not all this pessimistic. Sorry, Will's probably more reflective of the national mood than me. Uh, yeah, well, I actually think you're right, Luke. I, I do feel like people are going into it like, pretty not confident but like maybe not realizing that they could be set up for a, another kind of all blacks backlash hopefully not but yeah it looks that way to me anyway hopefully not exactly <laughs> uh well for the moment liam thanks so much for getting up uh nice and early in auckland and joining us uh enjoy the game and we appreciate you talking to us no worries you two lads it's a pleasure yeah, yeah, that was awesome thanks very much man that's all we have time for this week on the left wing. We'll be back next week with another podcast looking back on the Ireland All Blacks game. And in the meantime, you could subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thanks for listening. And goodbye.